Welcome to the Aftershock Central Podcast with your hosts, Martin and Travis. My good friend, Travis, hello. Hello. It's three in a row, buddy. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I feel like the world must be about to come to an end or something. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, it's year end. Everybody's trying to to, you know, finish stuff up. So Sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. You know, if, it's been nice knowing you all. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, World-ending events are part of our discussion for tonight with the two books that we're going to be talking about, which is uh, We Live Number 3 and Miskatonic Number 2. Yeah. You are the king of segues, man. I don't know how you do it. You know, when you've been doing this crap as long as I have – uh, it just it just comes naturally sometimes, man. You know, yeah. it's like it's when I for your inspiration, Martin. It's it's like when I come up with episode titles or or episode descriptions. I don't uh, I don't even remember what we talked about. I just like pick something out of the blue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and somehow it's just it works. like you just take the wheel. It's like okay, cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I uh, I I tap into the ether. And the ether replies. Uh, it's because I have an advanced degree from Miskatonic University. I don't know if you know this. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, not much in terms of news because, uh, you know, it's the end of the year. So people don't like really announce stuff at the end of the year uh, right before Christmas. But uh, there's uh, there's some new preview pages for the follow-up book to Undone by Blood – which uh, I think we all really enjoyed. And uh, there's no set date for this yet. It's just sometime in 2021 from what I can gather. But it looks great. And the title of the book is Undone by Blood or The Other Side of Eden. So oh. I'm excited. Yep. Uh, Other Side of Eden. Other Side of Eden. It uh, There's a new main character, but we still follow the Undone by Blood story, the uh, the backup stuff. With the cowboy, remember from the the first series, looking for his son. Mm-hmm. He's still, of course, a main part of the series. From from what I can gather in these previews. Yeah, I mean, I I wonder if it's going to be later in the fictional book series or earlier in the fictional book series. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That I don't know. Uh, probably like ambiguous. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Like yes, the, yes. the dude's not going to have a kid and a wife, and it's going to be like exactly because they're dead or because he hasn't met the wife yet. Yes. Uh, this series does take place much earlier than the one we just wrapped up. The the what we wrapped up was modern times ish. Uh, this one takes place during the Great Depression. I thought the the first one was like eighties, early eighties, or, or something like that. Like she wears a lot of band t-shirts from like the late 70s i thought bro i i still wear band t-shirts <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> yeah yeah okay fair i'd like i feel like it's it's somewhat of a period piece but i could be wrong uh, okay maybe i should clarify uh i said more current i mean the the 80s still seems kind of current to me Travis. Look, i know <laughs> you're still living in the 80s <laughs> You might want to talk to somebody about that. <laughs> Touche, my friend. Touche. Don't uh, don't look at a calendar. Don't don't consult how long ago that was because you might have a bad time. 
Listen, I don't believe in time, so perfect. Yes. Yes. All right. Uh, that segues us into, <laughs> <laughs> into the first book of the evening, which uh, I don't. We have not talked about this, right? Because uh, we slacked off for several months, so we actually haven't talked about either of these books on the podcast before. But uh, but I'm excited about both of them. The first yes. one, I'm sure you can imagine by why, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Miskatonic number two, The Doom That Came to Arkham, uh, written by Mark Sable, with art by Giorgio Pontrelli, colors by Pippa Boland, and letters by Thomas Maurer. Yeah. Is Pippa Boland related to Simon Boland? What does Pippa do? Colors? Colors. I mean, if it was letters, that's a slam dunk, but I'm not... <laughs> I, I mean, mean, maybe, maybe, maybe there, they're like, uh, you know, they're like a team, you know. There is only one family in the entire world with the last name Boland, so of course they must be related. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's not the craziest thing, you, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, just just like cranking out that work, right, is like, you know, so often colorists and letterists are just like an afterthought. To, to most fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's so underappreciated. Um, so, I, I don't know. That's That would be interesting to create kind of a one-stop shop for colors and letters. That's true. Good point. Look at us going on about something we know nothing about. Let's continue. Uh, so, Miskatonic number two. I'm I'm curious, Travis, because I mm. don't want to really talk about this last episode because I spent so much time talking about Lovecraft. Mm. Now, I uh, we kind of have to talk about Lovecraft. So I'm curious, how much do you know about Miskatonic? Wow. And how, Mis- much do you, how much do you know about Lovecraft in general, really? I'm going to say, like, in general, not that much about Lovecraft. Mm. And Miskatonic specifically, I'm going to say close to zero. <laughs> Like, I, I know certain things about Lovecraft, which, like, yeah, we, we can get into that now or, or like, we can get into that when we kind of get more into the thematic discussion. But Let, Let's um, do that as we get into the thematic discussion. I think, yeah, I think it's better that you lead it off uh, because you c- clearly, like, you're, you're somewhat of an authority on this stuff. Uh, that's too kind of you. I wouldn't say that, but uh, but thank you. The uh, This book is one of those books where I think if you are a fan of Lovecraft, you'll get a lot more out of it than you would otherwise, uh, because it's just full of Easter eggs, right? Like this um, – I think they're called like the Brotherhood of Dagon, for example. Uh, Lovecraft had a story named Dagon, so this is kind of important. The masks they wear are kind of reminiscent of the Cthulhu cultists from some of the stories – and there's just like all kinds of stuff in here, like um, you know we get some flashbacks to this detective where he was investigating this place in Brooklyn, and you have like the the Rat Man, yeah, and and the 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 woman that runs the little B and B that they're staying at talks about rats in the wall, like that's also a reference to another Lovecraft story. There's just like there's so much in here that if you know zero about Lovecraft. I think it's written well enough where you can just follow it for this story. But if you're kind of 
embroiled in this universe. Um, and of course, there's like an extended Lovecraft universe, right? Um, because uh, Lovecraft wasn't famous when he was around. A lot of his, his stories and his ideas became famous after he died uh, because of some of his friends and and fans that set up a, a publishing house to put out his work. And, uh, and that's really when he started kind of kicking into high gear in terms of fame. And, and of course, has influenced all sorts of media since uh since he passed um so you're saying there that there is a lovecraft extended universe there, an, yes. L, an lc eu <laughs> so to speak yes an lc eu there there certainly is uh i mean you got you got to remember like lovecraft died in the late 30s right so because he's influenced so many people, people have always wanted to like write stories in this universe because it's it's very deep and and branches off in many different directions. And and the cool thing is that like some of the stuff was kind of even happening while Lovecraft was still alive, right? And and not so much as published work, but uh, like he would he would write letters back and forth with uh, with colleagues and with fans sometimes, and and kind of share like fanfic and and Lovecraft loved this kind of stuff, right? Cuz it kind of helped develop his own ideas on on what his world was kind of like. And uh and so yes, there is a very long tradition of people writing in the vein of Lovecraft. Uh and including people like that you're familiar with, like Neil Gaiman. Uh Neil Gaiman has put out stuff that's set within the Lovecraft universe. And and obviously a lot of his other stuff is obviously influenced by lovecraft maybe not so much as his current stuff right he's doing the uh the norse mythology stuff right now for example but but he is very much influenced by by this world and uh, and it's pretty obvious if you're a lovecraft fan so i'm curious with you not knowing any of these easter eggs or any of the the surrounding mythology i'm curious how you felt about this book and if you want to mention some things from issue one that's fine too uh since we haven't talked about this book at all really Sure. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I have kind of a, a vague, I want to say understanding, but um, I'll say impression of, you know, like what, what makes Lovecraft tick and, and you know, this and that. Um, like, without pulling punches, um, you know, I feel like we, you mentioned this last week is, is like, what, what, I have come across the most, you know, just based on my own experiences is, is kind of hearing stories about Lovecraft and like, you know, his kind of fucked up like views or, or comments about other races. Um, mm. and, and like specifically, like it, it seems like there is a trope in Lovecraft about like looking at a person and, and, saying like well that person doesn't look right you know and, and it's like they, mu they must be the product of you know like in in this series they they specifically keep talking about miscegenation right like you yes. know yes and and there's also a lot of well i think it might have been in the first issue uh i don't know if it was in this one or not but the the talk of kind of um 
migrants, right? The the outsider kind of taking over a particular town. I think they mentioned that in reference to Insmith uh, in particular and, and how like Arkham isn't really bothered by any of these things, right? Because they're all like upper class white folks there. Uh, whereas some of the smaller surrounding towns are full of immigrants. And, and it's not even a color thing, right? Because we're talking like Italian immigrants, um, Russian immigrants, Irish immigrants. So these are still whites, but they're at least at this time not considered white, right? They're they're yeah. less than. And and you're right. There there is uh, kind of a, a racist undertone to a lot of Lovecraft stories. Uh, I think uh, generally for people that focus on that, to me at least, it's uh, kind of short sighted because you know every every writer is kind of writing as a result of the time that they live in. And and obviously now, well, not all of us, but for for the majority, I would say, uh, we can agree as a society that these kind of racist ideas are wrong, uh, even if there's still a group that believes they're still fine, right? And and Lovecraft was kind of in that whole thing. And I mean, he was an anti-Semite, but he was married to a Jewish woman. Mm. So, you know, like, I, I think looking at those kind of issues is short-sighted because things are oftentimes a little more complicated than that in real life, right? Uh, it's very easy to talk uh, philosophy and ideology, but when you get to, like, real-life examples, things become more complex. Yeah, I mean, you can you can view things through the lens of, like, when when artists were, were creating and, and, you know, was this kind of the, you know, spirit... At, at the time, I, I think probably there, you know, that would be fair <laughs> that, that, you know, at the time there was still a lot of racism and, and, you know, paranoia about immigrants and, and whatnot, you mm-hmm. know, to some degree it, it's, it still exists. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you have to view it as any less skeevy, you know, like for sure um, no, no, for sure i'm not i'm not trying to make it any better i'm like i'm not saying it's okay that he was a racist what i'm saying is that we we need to when we look at people from the past we need to try to find a way to um understand their ideas through the lens of the time that they lived in so yes now we know that racism is wrong and slavery is wrong and misogynism is wrong and all these things but at the time, that wasn't the case, right? And so it always starts with a minority kind of moving a group forward in some way. Uh, and eventually that becomes accepted and it becomes the majority thought. And and that's how society progresses. Uh, I, I don't want to get too much into that because we're really getting away from the focus of the book. So let's let's get back to the book. Uh, there There is a tie-in, though, to this discussion with the fact that you have an FBI agent in the story, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So so yes, she is a woman. So you do get this angle of of women's rights, right? Because women couldn't vote, and uh, etc. Et right? Like they're expected to stay home and like be the caregivers, and she's obviously not into that. And you know, in issue one, she almost got fired from the FBI when well, it's not the FBI yet; it's just the the Bureau of Investigations. Uh, but when when Jagger Hoover took over, he kind of cleaned house a little bit. And she was one of the people that was going to get sort of demoted 
from field agent to secretary because that was a woman's job was to be a secretary. And fortunately, she she's got some file with information that allows her to continue in uh, working on the field. Um, she kind so, of blackmails him, right? Yes. Like, in some way, like she kind of inserts herself into this investigation. Like, yeah, I'm, I seem to recall. I'm not exactly sure what it is that is in that file. I, I assume they had to do with a particular investigation, possibly involving Hoover himself or things around Hoover, right? Maybe like people related to Hoover or directly involved with Hoover. And, you know, I, I think that whole Hoover thing at the in the first issue was a nice setup for like where the story has gone into. But there was an interesting like one liner in, in issue two when when they go to this party at uh, at Miskatonic University, um, which, by the way, that's why the book is called Miskatonic, right? Uh, and, and it takes place in Miskatonic Valley. It's this like fictional section of Massachusetts where, where Lovecraft sets a lot of the real world stuff in. Okay? Uh, Arkham being like one of the, the big towns there and Innsmouth being another one. Um, but they, they go to this like soiree at uh, at Miskatonic University being thrown by this kind of mysterious woman who is obviously connected to uh, the, the cult, maybe the cult of Dagon that we saw in the first issue. Uh, there's, uh, I don't think, yeah, we did see the deep ones in this one as well. Uh, the deep ones showed up in the first issue also. They're mm-hmm. the, uh, like the, the creature from the Black Lagoon looking people. And uh, she's obviously somehow embedded in this like magic circle um, because she does this thing with the FBI detective uh, or agent where they switch souls, right? So she enters the FBI agent's body and the HVI agent's soul goes into her body. So she's able to see all these like magical things. And then the woman is able to get like information about who they are and why they're there, etc. Uh, but it's obvious that she knows a lot more, right? Because she she confronts the um, the detective that's there and tells him, like, yeah, I know all about Brooklyn. Like, why don't you, are you going to tell her the truth about, like, what really happened there? Uh, and I don't think – that's not from being in this other woman's body, right? Because she would have no memories of that. So there's got to be some other way that they know each other. And And I think – that may tie into what you alluded to with with Hoover, that Hoover may be somehow embedded or embroiled in this whole thing as well somehow. Uh, how I'm not quite sure yet. Uh, I do know that Hoover was uh, a 33 degree Mason, so maybe like hmm. that's an angle that they can go into. Uh, that doesn't happen until much later. But uh, you know, Hoover rose through the ranks pretty quickly. Like he took over. Um, I think as like temporary director of of uh, the FBI when he was like 24, right? And then like actually got the title of director in I'm trying to think it was like 24, 29. It was it was mid to late 20s that he actually got the title. So he was like 30 years old, right? When he takes over the FBI, and I mean I I don't know. It's it's sure it's a brand new agency. But it seems kind of rapid, right? Because um, I think 
he he joined the Freemasons like the same year or maybe a year after or before uh, becoming like interim director. So there's there's a lot of stuff going on, and and you know the, this this time of the twenties is really interesting, right? So we're we're talking pre depression, we're talking about um, pre World War Two, after World War One, and and there's a lot of like spiritualism going on, um, you know, New York and New England being kind of a hotbed for this kind of stuff, and and you have groups like uh, I think I mentioned them in the last episode like Blavatsky and Theosophy, and you have um, Rudolf Steiner and the Anthroposophists coming out of that, uh, where they're kind of bringing a lot of like ideas that nobody knew about really uh, in, in the modern world from Tibet and, and other Eastern cultures and kind of putting a mystical spin and combining it with Christianity and bringing it over to the West. And, and there's still a lot of remnants of that stuff in like modern um, esoteric culture and and Lovecraft is also you know obviously a big part of it because he creates this kind of horror mythology mixing in a lot of these elements and and some of Christian ideology in there as well and I'm talking too much Travis let, let, let's hear from you oh, I mean dude like you know you got stuff to say so I want to let you get it out um, what what I will say is that I, I mean I, I think you kind of nailed uh, you know what what is central to the intrigue uh is, is that like we're seeing this case and they're and they're saying go investigate this but there's clearly ties to events that happened some time ago you mm-hmm. know like they reference 10,000 anarchists that were jailed i believe and you yes. know like some event in in Brooklyn that the NYPD cop keeps flashing back to, and like it's creepy, you know. It's mm-hmm. like you you're seeing, um, you know, uh, like images that look wouldn't look out of place, like on the xenomorph uh, spaceship, you know. It's <laughs> it's like that kind of like what the hell is this, you yeah. know? It's like Whatever it is, I don't like it. Um, uh, like the rat thing, especially. Um, so I guess like central to the intrigue, I think is is a couple of things, which is you know like does to wit does Jagger Hoover and the bureau really think this is anarchist or is that a cover up? Y- you know, is, is anarchist a convenient way to cover up a <laughs> a terrifying supernatural you know like situation that seems to be exploding um and like connected to that i would say is the motivations for this investigation is that a real investigation or are they being sent there to to whatever cover it up and and you know kill anybody who like seems to be a bad actor or or lock them up for being an anarchist or or whatever yeah, they... for being antifa exactly <laughs> uh you know what's funny travis is uh you know things uh kind of happen in uh, in circular uh motions and uh history often tends to repeat itself so um to give you a little bit of of context uh, this is happening 
when, when Hoover takes over the FBI, uh, this is around the time of the first Red Scare. Um, okay. Because it's just a few years after the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. Um, so there's kind of this um, distrust of, I mean, many different groups, but of course Russians in particular, and and anyone that would be associated with them ideologically. Um, and, and that plays into some of this stuff that you're talking about in terms of like, are these really anarchists or is there something else going on? Is there a cover up? And, uh, and I'm not sure like what the exact story is with, with this detective in Brooklyn, right? Because we, we, we saw a couple of little hints, uh, about it, but, uh, nothing like really solid, I guess, to, to, figure out what what exactly happened there but judging by some of these panels and and the obvious references to the rats in the wall uh it could be that that might be the connection behind all these different elements that we are talking about and that we've seen in the first two issues um and just like a basic gist of the the rats in the walls uh there's this family uh of kind of occultists and um they they've been in this estate for for many many centuries and they have like it's kind of like a an early version of maybe like a kind of a sex trafficking ring but not really because there's no sex involved uh but there's like an entire city of people that live under their house okay and and they keep them there for various purposes i mean i don't want to spoil a uh almost 100 year old story but uh i recommend you read it because this is like one of lovecraft's like first big hits really um the 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 first short story that kind of put him on the map is is the rats on the wall and uh and as a result of all this uh this guy like finds out what his family has done uh in terms of raising these like mutant people uh, for nefarious purposes and, and ends up like killing his whole family and, mm. and disappears. Right. Uh, and then, you know, the cops find him and they arrest him and they put him in a loony bin and there's like a whole cover up going on because like the, the city of mutant people is like actually there under the, <laughs> under the mansion. Um, so, th- so there is kind of this, this cover up and, and I'm curious if, that's maybe the direction that we get the story from the detective. Um, and I, I hmm. could be making it up, but I feel like there was maybe a mention of a partner at some point. Um, so that's, that's just my thought. That's just my thought. And again, you not having read rats in the wall or being too familiar with Lovecraft. Uh, I, I know you don't have much to say probably on that, but I, I find some of the connections interesting. Uh, if, if only tangentially, uh, referential. Uh, obviously, Mark Sable is is very familiar with Lovecraft, so uh, it's it's possible. Well, what I what I would say is kind of whether or not it's it's referencing that specifically. You know, you, you mentioned earlier that there seems to be a callback from the you know the the host of the party saying to the detective, like, I know what you did you know, back, back in New York. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I think certainly like he's having flashbacks 
to whatever happens. And I feel like that's influencing his decisions. Like, you know, if, if I were trying to like analyze it, like it seems like basically he is trying to just wrap this up as quickly as possible. Like whether or not it's actually like he basically, right. Wants to, to just, wrap up this you know lady in a bow and be like it's all her case closed mm. you know and since ca- the case is closed we we don't need to dig into uh my past and yeah. y- you know like this thing that i have nightmares about you know even while i'm awake uh interesting that he actually you know agreed to take this on unless he just didn't realize what it was going to be you know, I mean, <laughs> he got tricked into it. I, you know, I was wondering about that, too, but I, I think he did know. Right. Because in, in the first issue, like he knows exactly who to go and talk to. Like he goes to find that uh, that homeless guy um, because like the homeless guy's familiar with like this writing or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that part of the first issue? Yeah. Um. So like obviously he's familiar with the stuff and he knows his strengths and i guess she does as well um i i am curious like if hoover sent them to kind of hush this thing up or to like <laughs> have them both get killed right uh literally kill two birds with one stone because if if she's got some blackmail on him uh, obviously he wants to get rid of her and then you have this kind of like rogue detective that witnessed all this occult stuff um you'd want to get rid of him as well Interesting, dude. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe Jagger is in on it. Could be. Uh, or, you know, could could be like uh, he could be like cigarette smoking man, right? Cancer man from from X Files. Oh man, I love Cancer Man. <laughs> I uh, I recently started rewatching the X Files, and I totally forgot about that first episode. Um, and I feel like some of the themes in the first episode are still there throughout the series. But, like, it was so blatant in the first episode that, like, all the shit in the X-Files is real. Let's just send this woman in here to, like, shut Mulder up. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, super blatant in the first episode. But, uh, yeah, interesting stuff on in this one, man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like, I, I don't I don't know where it's going to go. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, there, there's definitely a lot. And I think the art looks great. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, one other kind of Easter egg that I, I kind of enjoy because it, it advances the story um, in, in a couple different spots is the um, the the doctor, the scientist. Mm-hmm. Um, that's you might be familiar with this name. Have you heard of the reanimator? Yes. OK, that's the reanimator. Herbert West. Yeah. Yeah. Oh shit! <laughs> like local man has same name, or like it's actually supposed to be him. That's that's a Lovecraft story. Herbert West Reanimator. Oh whoa! Awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I had no idea. Yep. So uh, so that was cool. So I'm hoping he he continues to play a a large part in this series. Um. Because you also have uh, you have this that one guy when they're when they go to find the guy that can translate the text right mm-hmm. the uh, 
I can't remember what his profession is. A linguist. The guy in the library? Yeah. Yeah. Well, pre- I assume he's a professor. Yeah, some, some professor of something. Uh, he, he obviously speaks like Aramaic and other ancient languages because he mentions them. Um, but that weird guy shows up. And then you see him at the end with like the tentacles exploding out of his chest. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, there's, I, I don't know. I, I feel like they they sow some, some uncertainty about like, you know, did, did that guy actually cause that explosion or whatnot to happen? Right. You know, they're like, this is your handwriting. Yeah. 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 So like, there's certainly could be something going on with that. Uh, it could, because that's also a callback to another Lovecraft story. Uh, I think that one's a shadow over Innsmouth. When uh, when everyone, all, all the humans start, well, actually, everything um, starts, like, mutating. Yeah, that sounds on brand for the series. Mm, it's also a segue to our next discussion, but first, let's rate it up. You couldn't resist, could you? <laughs> <laughs> all right you want me to start yeah go ahead man yeah let's let's go uh 4.5 out of 5 on this one wow oh yeah i'm surprised man i th- I, I was expecting a lower score from you no i mean i i i like it you know i, I can't tell you what's what's where they're going with it right now but sure 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 yeah uh well see now i feel bad because my score is also 4.5 but I feel uh, like this is like when me and my wife rate beers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you better go for a five. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to go for a four point six. How about that? Yeah. I mean, what, what, whatever feels right, man. All right. Four point. You know what? Let's let's go on brand. We'll go a four point six six six. Oh, nice. All yeah. right. Now where's, I'm. I'm where's my bill? There it is. 4.666. 4.666. Very good. So uh, because of my masterful segue, let's segue into our next book of the evening. And that is We Live, number three. This is written by the Miranda brothers, Inaki and Roy. We have art by Inaki Miranda and colors by Ava de la Cruz. Letters by Dave Sharp. So, uh, Travis, take it away, buddy. Okay. Uh, so I know we haven't talked about this one before. Sadly, you know, yes. Yeah. Basically, like, like we want to just nutshell very, very quickly. Uh, like, something is going on with the Earth that's causing all of the animals to mutate like crazy into, you know, things that, you know, kill humans, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I believe that, uh, you know, some kind of extraterrestrial force has uh, promised passage to, you know, a, a small number of human children, um, essentially just to keep the species alive. I feel uh, like I feel like this is the plot of a Lovecraft story, except <laughs> except with aliens. Okay, but continue. I mean, that, what, what you described is basically the plot for the Color Out of Space. Oh man. Nicholas Cage, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, which is also the plot of uh, what's what's the movie? Uh, continue talking. I'll find the movie. I don't want to keep you interrupting. Continue. Okay. Um, so it, it 
then becomes an exercise from issue one as far as like you have to get the the designated children's survivors to a drop-off point to be bused to you know the space shuttle to to take them off worlds um uh, but you know the the best laid plans go awry and and very quickly you know the like the group we're following basically is SOL and and you know they have no vehicle they've got to move on foot through terrain that's filled with monsters um and you know in this issue we we see a new cohort that you know like revolves around a scientist uh who's studying a, a disease that that you know a virus that infects humans and turns them into some kind of monster mushroom people mushroom people sure yeah, that's sure. what that's what they call the molders right because they're mold not scullies <laughs> brought it back okay <laughs> whistling joe that's right <laughs> okay so uh yes okay mushroom people uh and they are experimenting or whatever and i guess they've captured you know the like our main character a kid who was designated to survive and the girl who was sent with him as a companion uh who is not planned to to go off worlds mm-hmm. um and you know basically things not looking good for them but they get rescued by another kid who is like a tech genius but also has a best friend who's like a gorilla butter dragonfly thing <laughs> yeah. uh and it's like you know they make quick work of the bad guys uh and they go to the, to the you know drop off point only problem is that there's now a big cult there that basically seems to be exterminating all of the kids who are meant to leave homeworld yes because Which of is course a there would be twist you know like mm-hmm. i don't i personally did not see that part of the story coming and like you know, obviously it makes sense. Like we're only three issues in and they're, and they're already getting to a point that should have been the like, okay, we made it point. Yes. Well, I mean, technically they did make it right. Mm-hmm. Except now there's an additional problem. <laughs> but is that the launch site or is it? Or oh, that, is it that's where the train like, is, right? Yeah. Like they're going to get on a train to go to another place. So they could, in theory, get past this and get onto a train and then get stopped again. Sure. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. But theoretically, once they're on the train, it's like next stop destination. I mean, we got, I assume, two, three more issues max. So, I don't, you know, I don't... You yeah, know. yeah, yeah. There's, there's only so much room for additional twists at this point. <laughs> so, I think that was a fantastic recap Thank you. Uh, of the three issues that we've uh, – of the three issues of this series and of this particular issue, uh, I'm going to give you a shorter recap of this book. You ready? It's a, it's a true nutshell. It's a true nutshell. This is the anime version of the movie Annihilation. Yes! But with aliens. 
Yes. Thank you. I no. Thank you, man. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, annihilation just being like evolution gone nuts. So annihilation being an almost direct ripoff of H.P. Lovecraft's The Color Out of Space. All right. See, we're tying it up again. I love Annihilation. I, I thought that movie was great. Uh, yeah, Annihilation is is very good, and uh, it's it's similar to the book. I think it's a series, right? There's like three of them. Um, it's interesting. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a whole series of them. Huh. I, I mean, I only know the one with uh, Natalie Portman and uh, Oscar Isaac and Jane the Virgin. Yeah, Jennifer Jason Lee. Yes. Yes. Um. Yeah, Annihilation is very good, and and it is similar, but obviously this takes place much later, right? Annihilation is kind of like sort of the beginning of this infestation. Um, the the curious thing is, I'm I'm wondering because you have all this crazy stuff happening, and then the aliens send a message and say, "Hey, here's five thousand bracelets. They're only for children." Uh, meet us at the spot, and we'll rescue humanity through these five thousand children. Everybody else, you're screwed. But the five thousand, you're golden. We'll take you to a different planet. Um, don't you find it weird that like all this stuff is happening, and then the aliens send this message? Do you think that maybe the aliens are involved in what's happening on this planet? I had not considered that. Mm. Um, but. I mean, I, I see the logic in what you're saying. The, I mean, the question I think would be, you know, what what is the their objective for the ones with the bracelets? You know, like why why do they why like do you think they just want to clear Earth, but that they also want us to preserve the species for you know undetermined purposes? I mean, I don't know, right? It could be. Uh... You know, I, I watch way too many movies. I don't know if you know this. But it could be like Prometheus, right? So in Prometheus... Oh, God. Uh, well, I, I mean... You, you just, had me and you lost me. <laughs> just like... I love Prometheus. You shut your mouth. Um, just like the alien franchise in general. You you have this, like, ancient civilization that's, like, seeding life on all these planets, right? And then mm-hmm. basically, like, gardening the planets. And, and I know you don't like Prometheus, but... Um, the this group decides that like the way that humanity was evolving is not what they wanted, and so they're actually supposed to launch and go destroy the planet or at least humanity. Uh, except then they get uh, you know possessed by the xenomorphs and uh, and they all die on on the on the off world base on the planet Prometheus. And um, and so maybe it's like that, right? Like maybe this alien race. It's just like they've been around for forever and they are like they're like space hippies. And when they see that a a particular species is kind of destroying the natural environment, they they find a way for nature to um, outpace its evolution and and become dominant again. Right. Instead of letting people dominate nature, they find a way to evolve nature to dominate humans and obviously reducing the population, right? It's going to change the, the ecology of the planet. But but they don't want to completely get rid of it, of, of whatever that life form is, right? So they pick children because children are still like, you know, they're young and they 
just want to have a good time. They don't care about like race and politics and like all this bullshit that destroys the planet. Uh, so they're going to take the kids to a different place and, and let this planet evolve naturally, I guess. I mean, just a thought. I could be totally off. No, I I like it, actually. Um, I, I just, you know, I'm not sure about all of the implications of that within the context of the story. For mm-hmm. instance, like, something that I was wondering about is, uh, like, I mean, I, I'm going to have to assume that whatever is is causing, you know, all of the animals to mutate is related to whatever is causing these humans to mutate with the virus. I, like, yes. I don't know if, if you think that is, is a fair assumption. I just would seem to be a strange coincidence if both of those things were happening at the same time. Um, like, but if, if the aliens are behind, you know, it's like, what, you know, you make earth appear whatever unlivable, um, so you're trying to, to, you know, I, I don't know. Like I, I can understand I, like trying to get rid of all the humans and then start fresh, mm-hmm. but you're still left with a planet full of monsters and you've kind of destroyed the ecology that existed and replaced it with something that is new and mutant that uh, who knows if it's sustainable, you know? Well, so so I get what you're saying, but at the same time, with the way that humanity was living on the planet, they're destroying the the plants and animals anyway, right? So by causing these mutations, yes, you're you're no longer have those species, right? They've become these new and slightly different species, uh, but but at least you allow nature to kind of like return to some more primal state, I guess you could say, right? A, a place where, where nature is in control again. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, you know, I think that that if you are, you know, advanced enough to come to Earth from another star and, uh, you know, create something that changes, you know, the entire biome of the planet, that you could also create something that just kills the humans and leaves everything else intact, Mm. you know, rather than, than you create a, a, like a wholly new situation that I I don't know how you walk back from, you know, like, I I don't know how you get the like lion monsters to not exist anymore to like mutate back to a regular lion. Yeah. yeah, Sure. 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 I don't see that happening, you know? Well, and and that might not be the point. Maybe all it does is like accelerate biology, right? So maybe like this dragonfly gorilla thing is what gorillas would evolve into in like you know a million years. Uh, but whatever, whatever. Gorillas have been around a long time. Dude. All right, whatever. You know what I mean. <laughs> At some point, gorillas get dragonfly wings. Okay, it's it's an an evolutionary fact. Um. But, like, obviously all these species that we're seeing, like, are evolving in new ways that allow them to be successful in the environment that they live in, right? Uh, Even if there are completely different species, well, the environment's completely different, too. Uh, And and the one thing that I found interesting and, 
you know, I, I try to go online and see like what people thought of this and and I don't see a lot of like people catching on to this little bit that that have talked about this book is like the sheer level of existential crisis that people in this universe must be having because uh, the book takes place in 2084 right and and think about it like not only are all the species mutated um like all the continents are just basically destroyed right they, they like they just look different and humanity has basically just created like these mega cities that are literally just continent-sized cities um and there's been like all these different like pandemics going on you you've had at least one world war i'm assuming more than one uh but they they mentioned the rumble wars and and that's where that one kid has the, the giant mech suit and and all this in like 60 years right from now until the the time this book takes place can you imagine like here we are in 2020 uh everyone's like freaked out about covid and and imagine this happening for like the next 60 years right yeah i mean i i imagine i, I don't know after, after a certain point if stuff is like horrific enough you would think that people would just kind of lose their will to survive or at least like some significant portion of them you know like yeah the ones who weren't already eaten by monsters for sure yeah yeah, yeah. the ones not eaten by monsters um and the ones not killed by like other crazy people too right so so you mentioned this cult that we see at the end of this issue Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to see more stuff like that. Uh, this actually, again, I watched too many movies, Travis. But uh, but there's a movie called Stakeland that uh, that I really enjoy, and and this cult that we see at the end reminds me like almost 100% of the cult in Stakeland, and and Stakeland is kind of like Zombieland but with vampires. Uh, also remove the comedy and add like existential crisis like nonstop, um and it's really good and in in that movie there's this cult that like kind of worships vampires um because they like want to be vampires and and this cult and they dress like the cult that we see in this one and and they have like the the main guy reads out of scripture like uh like this cult does at the end before they they kill the kids and and that's interesting too right because like here you have this alien species that is saying like all you gotta do is send five thousand kids to this one spot and humanity saved and these people are like well like who are the aliens that tell us that like these kids are saved why can't we be saved right and like that's their purpose to find the kids kill them so they can take their bracelets uh my assumption is that would not really work right because when they show up and the aliens come and they're like well uh you guys aren't children they're not going to take them, right? And so now everybody's just screwed. Yeah, I think the fine print says non-transferable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, like, beyond that, let's open it up a little bit, right? You know, like, if if it's if it's a question of, you know, the, the survival of the species, couldn't the aliens just, like take dna samples like i I feel like they could get a lot more dna samples than five thousand 
individuals. Like Correct. they get a lot more, much more easily. Um, you, you know, if, if if that's all they're trying to do. So I like there's something about the the exercise that I find interesting. Like I don't know, maybe they are actually trying to preserve elements of like the culture per se, you, well, you know, and, and you nailed it. And this is the reason why I asked at the beginning of the discussion, are we assuming that they're benevolent or not? Because if they're the ones throwing, you know, all these genetic mutations and, and wars and climate crisis and whatever else. And now this, is it just like, you know, 60 years of testing the human race uh and if so for what purpose sell the tests because i mean think about it if they can do all these things and they have the ability to just like beam up five thousand kids uh they obviously are way more advanced than us right so why go through all the trouble just bring come down with your flying saucer or whatever and you just beam the kids up from their house right that there's no extra work for them sure so this has to be part of whatever's happening to this world as well. And and that's why it has me curious, like, are these aliens good or not? And and more interestingly, and, and I just now came up with this. I don't think there's any indication of this to be true in, in the book. Um, but what if the message was never like an alien message, right? What oh if it, boy. What if it was <laughs> what if it was some like I don't know, some some clandestine group? Or, or like a government group. Yeah, right? no, totally, dude. Maybe everyone's like, you know, the whole world is effed up. We'll just get these kids to come to this place, and we'll just, like, we'll go underground or whatever. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, we're going to deep impact it? Yeah, we'll deep impact it. Come out in 100 years or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I salute you, buddy. Uh, I, I think you win the crazy <laughs> theory prize for this week. Crazy theory time. Yeah. No, that like that all makes sense. I'm not gonna say that's definitely what's happening, but there's a lot in there that that you know to chew on. That like yeah. Oh, and and again, there's no indication in particular of my second theory, uh, aside from the, the the old guy in the first issue, uh, the first two issues. Mm-hmm. He seems like he knows a little too much. You know what I mean? Sure. So uh, so we'll see. I, I did find it interesting how the the use of the scientist and in, in, we haven't even talked about this issue, have we? <laughs> yes. Yes. OK. No. Oh, 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 okay. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Let me let me jump in. And yeah. like this is this is not going to be as smart as what you were about to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, is were you struck that the name of the scientist is Dr. Zayas? <laughs> Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Yes. I I love that actually. Yes. Like that's that. got to mean something, right? <clears throat> so I mean, so it's it's a few things, right? So you could read it as just Dr. Zeus. Boo. Uh but that's kind of boring. Uh Dr. Zayas is uh is way better. Um <laughs> Um Okay, what was I gonna say? So you can I me... play the piano anymore? Of course you can. Well, I couldn't before. <laughs> um, yeah, that that's. <laughs> <laughs> You're killing me, bro. You're killing me. But uh, you know, to to make more movie references, 
I don't know if you know this. I'm a huge fan of Planet of the Apes. Yes. And uh, and to have this doctor kind of foster these like <laughs> fungus people. <laughs> Planet of the mushrooms. Uh, Planet of the mushrooms. Uh, but 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 I like the way it was done, right? Because you you're introduced to him in the past as he's researching this like new virus that showed up, right? Um, and uh, you kind of follow him through his research, and like he's still doing the research, even though like he's now a mold man, right? Uh, because like as part of his research, he discovered this one guy that was able to like kind of retain his humanity even as he's becoming a mold man and uh and i love that because like that's a reference to um, what's that movie uh day of the dead i don't know if you're familiar with the the whole franchise uh I but in that, in that movie there is a doctor that like that's what he's working on to figure out this the zombie outbreak is like he finds a zombie that he's able to train and like he shows them how to work a gun and like listen to music and that kind of plays out in in a lot of the other Romero stuff the later stuff uh that most people forget where like zombies kind of start becoming conscious and and smart even and and so because of that like I loved having all that in here and you know he, he's kind of an antagonist in the story but also kind of helps propel things along uh, because I don't think we really got much in particular on what's going on with with people in this in this world uh, from the first couple of issues, right? Uh, so it was cool to have this like weird zombie element show up. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, it. You could you could question kind of a like, okay, well, what was the point of this? Because you introduce a thing and and you know like very quickly those characters are all dead. Mm. Uh, like. So I'm assuming that, that that exists really to give us a little bit more perspective on where this all started out before we we found ourselves here, you know? Um, so, I mean, I, like, that's my, my guess about th- that this virus thing is connected to what's happening with the rest of the animals and, and that there's going to be stuff that we take away later, but not important enough to to keep those characters alive like they serve their purpose um yeah what i what i will say is uh you know planet of the shrooms is a great <laughs> title and you know like maybe i'll i'll go and like write something right now and and put that title on it so that it's mine do it all right i'm going to do it before <laughs> tomorrow morning do it now get to the chopper you know i'm pretty sure that's arnold schwarzenegger's only line in the expendable series what really i'm pretty sure like every time he's in a scene he always says get to the chopper because i feel like there was a a joke made about it in like the second or third movie ha yeah anyways i yeah i mean i only saw the first one and that was a long long time ago Fair enough. So I'll take your word for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get Mr. to the chopper. I love movies. <laughs> I do love movies. Uh, I'm I'm so grateful for uh, We Live for having allowed me to talk about like 10 different movies in one discussion. Yes. Yeah. 
And I mean, like, I, we didn't even go into like Robotech uh, <laughs> or like Neon Genesis or any of this stuff that, uh, I mean, obviously there's a lot of, of anime and manga inspiration in, uh, in, in art style and, uh, in creature design and things like that. So, yeah. All right. Well, if we're going to talk manga, then Julian's got to come on. So and uh, I, I, yes. I think contractually that may, that may be the case. You're, you're right. Uh, next time we do an issue, we should have Julian come on and share his anime expertise. Yeah, I'm down, man. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, very good. Do you want to read it up? Yes. Uh, I'll go a 4.25 out of 5. Mm-hmm. I will go with... <laughs> I'm going to go... You know, let's just stick with the weird scores. Let's go with a, a, a 4.33333. Huh. Mm-hmm. Repeating to infinity. Yes, you you are a repeater, but you're not irrational. Ah, very good. Repeater wasn't that an aftershock book? I feel like it was. Maybe I'm making that up. God, that sounds familiar. <laughs> right? Yeah, I yeah yeah. I can't find it. There is a, a character. I mean, it's, it's also repeater. a Fugazi album, right? So yeah, it is. It is. Repeater is a member of the G.I. Joe team. I don't know about that. I mean, I'll take your word for it, but I don't remember that. Repeater. Uh, so, uh, so that's going to wrap up this episode. We'll uh, we'll take next week off because it's uh, Christmas week. So uh, I hope everyone enjoys their presents that Santa brings them. I hope you've all been uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> But uh, we'll we'll come back the week after. There is a book coming out next week, and that is Miles to Go number three. Uh, B. Clay Moore and Stephen Molnar. So uh, check that out. Pick it up. That uh, will be out the day before Christmas Eve. Unreal, Travis. Another year has flown by. Oh, boy. Good riddance. Flown by. It feels like 2019 was just 15 years ago. And uh, here we are going to 2021. Fantastic. It's a ghost. <laughs> and we shall never speak of it again. Maybe. Maybe. Don't say that, man. I'm telling you. Because everyone said this about 2019. See, people forget. Everyone hated 2019. And they all said 2020 is going to be awesome. And then 2020 came around and it was worse than 2019. So just let it be however it'll be. <laughs> What, like we're going to get some terrifying virus that <laughs> destroys the planet? I'd like to see that happen. I mean, it might be one that uh, turns us all into mushroom people. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, if you get turned into a mushroom people, stay away from Martin. Just, you know, that's, yes. that's, advice. That, that, that's, that's my advice to you, mushroom person. I don't know what you're implying, but I agree. <laughs> All right, that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for listening. You can, of course, find us on Twitter at Geekvine, at uh, (laughs) Wrong Podcast, at The Great Magnet, at Aftershock Pod. Uh, Thank you for listening. Have a great holiday, and we'll catch you next episode.